Here we go. Sorry, it wasn't on. It's actually 975, page 975. Um, So Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Brothers, if any of you, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. From the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. You can be seated. All right, we're getting to the home stretch here of the book of Galatians. Uh, this week and next week is what we have left. And I have a, I guess, a social experiment kind of question for you. Um, how many of you, by a show of hands, you've got to engage with me here. I know some of you don't like to raise hands ever. How many of you think that if you see a stranger who has food in their teeth, like really obviously in their front teeth, like a piece of cilantro or something, and you don't know them, but you have an interaction with them, how many of you think you should tell them? Okay, what if their zipper's down? You'd... A little few, fewer hands? What if the, like, the shirt tag collar is up? Shauna, I know, that's a big pet peeve for her. She fixes mine about every Sunday. She sits right there behind where I do it, and she just helps me out with that. Okay, so that's if strangers. Now, what if it's a friend? Would more of you say if it's a friend, you should tell them? Okay, so can, let me just get some interaction. Why would you tell a friend but not a stranger? Relationship. What, what about relationship? So the person you care about, you have a relationship with, you would have to tell them the other person, yeah, their problem. Any, any other thoughts on this? <laughs> Comfort zone? feels strange to maybe talk to a stranger. We'll come back to that whole discussion. Um, I remember teaching a membership class in this room with about 90 of you, and I taught the first half of that class with my zipper down, and none of you told me. <laughs> Apparently that means we're not friends. So let me just check. Yep, we're good. We'll come back to that. What we'll see is that If we're going to live a life as a community in any relationship led by the Spirit, we will tell one another when our zipper's down and our food is in our teeth. But I just thought, I want to get a sense of how committed are you to that sort of process as we begin. Uh, We're in this last chapter of the book of Galatians. Uh, Galatians 6, uh, we'll look today at verses 1 through 10 and next week at verses 11 through 18. And uh, Paul has, in this letter, been helping us fight for grace And in the initial part of the book, we saw his story, his background, then we got into the theological and doctrinal reasons why we should understand that uh, you can be saved by grace alone and only by grace alone. Uh, 
there were some teachers uh, that had come into the churches of Galatia and were teaching a Jesus plus kind of message. Yes, believe in Jesus, but also be circumcised, but also eat kosher, but also follow the laws. And so we looked at all the theological reasons why that breaks down and, and that we can only know Christ by grace. And in these last couple chapters, we've started to see the implications of that, that we're to fight for grace as it's lived out horizontally. So what we saw in probably the first four chapters of the book was really this idea of of vertical grace. We experience grace vertically with God as we trust him by his son. But then what we see is that that grace needs to have a horizontal expression. It needs to take shape in our relationships and in our lives. Um, And so uh, just by way of review, let me remind you some of the difference between how we see this. We'll look at this more in depth, but but the Judaizers, these false teachers who were saying it's Jesus plus, uh, part of the way that they related was manipulation and control. Um, They wanted wanted you to be impressed by by what they did. They they were using people rather than loving them. So um, look at at chapter 2, verse 4. Just, just to kind of bring us up to speed on this. These Judaizers, it says, were false brothers, secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. They aren't for us. They're spying it out. There's something they feel like they have to gain. Go to chapter 4, verse 17. Paul, speaking of these same people, uh, sees their motive. It says, they make much of you but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. He's saying, they tell you, oh, you can keep the law, oh, you can do this, you're really great, you're really awesome, so that you will in turn think that they are. They're manipulating. This is not an attitude of love, it's it's an attitude of using. We'll look at this next week if you go to 6.13. It says uh, there, for even those who are circumcised, do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. And so throughout this book, we see these bad motives of these false teachers that aren't living by grace. And so we see that that the way we think even vertically about God has an implication in terms of how we live horizontally. On the other hand, Christians are called to love, not to use uh, to position themselves or to get a claim, but to love. This was all throughout the book of, uh, or throughout chapter five. In chapter uh, five, verse six, he says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. In verse 13, he says, you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Verse 16, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. When that happens, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. If you live by the Spirit, you will love. Notice all of those qualities of the fruit of the Spirit have horizontal dynamics to them. You are patient with people. You are kind towards people. You are faithful in your relationships and in your commitments to people. What we believe about the grace of God vertically shapes it horizontally. And so here's what I want us to see today as we look at this passage. What I think Paul wants us to see is that the quality of our lives 
is shaped greatly by the quality of our relationships. Do you agree with that? If your relationships are breaking down, your life is not fun. It's not healthy, it's not good. So, so this is relationships in, in your marriage, for those of you who are married. If that marriage relationship is tense and communication is poor and bitterness is growing, not a healthy, strong marriage. In your family, the quality of your family relationships, especially since for most of us that is the most important relationships we feel like we have and we spend the most time with them in many cases. If that breaks down, there's a, there's a problem. Whether it's work or roommates, whatever that is, if you have these breakdowns in your relationships, your life is harmed by it. And conversely, if these relationships are healthy, if these relationships are filled with the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness, right? If that fills our relationships, our, the quality of our life is going up big time. And so I want to ask this at the outset. What would it be like if God led the way in our key relationships? What would it be like if, if our agenda was to submit to and to follow God's agenda for our relationships? What would happen then? Rather than us saying, no, this is about me positioning myself to be in control, to be powerful, to be liked, whatever it is. What if we surrendered to God's lead? What would happen? And what would that look like? Well, Paul's going to tell us what that would look like in this passage in Galatians 6, 1 through 10. Now, i got to tell you, at the front set, uh, or at the outset here, this, is, this has been, for me, the hardest passage to figure out how to teach in the whole book. And the reason for it is this. You'll see as we get into this, there's a lot of statements that on their own don't seem like they're fit together. They seem like sort of one-off statements about Christian living, like as if Paul kind of just ran out of stuff to say and said, oh yeah, and do this, and do this, and do this, and do this. But what we'll see next week is he concludes the letter coming back to the central argument that he's been building this whole entire time. And so I don't think we can look at this as just a one-off Paul's ideas on how to interact. We have to see the context. We have to see the thread of this. And it's been incredibly difficult. Also, many of these uh, verses, for those of you that have been around church a while, you'll recognize a lot of these. You may have even heard like a topical sermon launching off of one of these verses. And you could do that very easily. But what I want to do in this today is to, to pull out these principles, but also to help us see the argument. To help us see that unless we are justified by faith in Christ alone, experiencing vertically God's grace, and unless that grace is filling us with the Spirit and empowering us to love one another, we'll never be able to do what this says. And all these platitudes that maybe even you've heard and gone, yeah, I should do that. It's not possible without walking by the Spirit. And so we're going to see three things about a Spirit-led community. Now, this can apply, again, to your marriage, to your family, um, to your uh, redemption community, to your church family, to those you work with. A Spirit-led community does three things. Number one, restores sinners. Number two, bears burdens. And number three, shares all good things. We're going to see all of those in this text here this morning. So the first thing, a spirit-led community restores sinners. Now, a show of hands here, how many of you are sinners? Okay, those of you without your hand up, either don't have arms or you're lying. 
Um, we're all sinners, and so that's one of the things that makes relationships so difficult and makes community so difficult is that we hurt one another and we sin. We sin against God, we sin against one another, and a spirit-led community, remember we're, we're in chapter 5, we're walking by the Spirit, we're being led by the Spirit, we're keeping in step with the Spirit. A spirit-led community restores sinners, does that difficult work of, of bringing them back together. Now, Paul has already warned us against the opposite tendency in chapter 5, verse 15. Look at chapter 5, verse 15. He says, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. That's one way to handle relationships where people sin, is just bite and devour. Gossip, slander, hurt, say mean things. That's one approach. The other approach is found in verse 26 of chapter 5. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So, so that's one approach. Rather than restoring people is to become conceited. And as a result of being com- becoming conceited, you would do either you'd provoke one another, usually provoking those that you think you're better than, or you would envy others, those that you know that you're not as good as, because you're filled with conceit. Tim Keller defines conceit this way. He says, conceit is a deep insecurity, a perceived absence of honor and glory, which follows with the need to prove our worth to ourselves and others. You you feel like, I deserve honor. I deserve glory. Don't they know all that I do? And that attitude is the same kind of attitude that allows someone to think, I'm not a a horrible sinner in need of grace, but I can actually keep God's law because look how good I am. It's the same thing. This legalism vertically leads to a kind of pride and conceit, provoking and envying horizontally. So Paul's warned us against that. And here's what he says in chapter 6, verse 1. He says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Let's uh, define some words here. When Paul says, if anyone is caught in any transgression, that word means to be overtaken by something or surprised by something. So it doesn't really have the idea of like you were sinning in private and you got caught, you got exposed. It has more the idea of an animal who's caught in a net. They're caught in a trap. They're stuck. They've, they didn't know how this happened, but they're, just, they're stuck in something. And so in this case, Paul's saying if anyone is stuck, they're trapped They've been overtaken by transgression. Transgression would be obviously wicked deeds, sins of selfishness and pride and all the ways that we would sin against each other. But again, remember the context. One key transgression, one key way we miss the mark is by thinking we can you know, trust in the law instead of trusting in Christ. He says if anyone's caught in this, they're stuck in this, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now, when you hear you who are spiritual, you tend to think, oh, well, those are the elite people. Uh, Those are the, like, super Christians. You who are the super, oh, that must mean pastors, because they don't don't ever sin. They're really spiritual. Ah, Yeah, right. The the spiritual people. No, no, but the, again, remember the context. We're going to talk context a lot today. The context is, who, who are those who are spiritual? Those who, in chapter three, have heard the message with faith and received the Spirit. Those who in chapter 5 are walking by the Spirit, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, being led by the Spirit. Christians 
are those who are spiritual, those who are walking in this way. He's saying this is a responsibility of everybody who's living a life of following the Spirit. You see somebody caught in this? You who are spiritual should restore him. This is the whole, uh, you see something in someone's teeth question. Uh, Now that's a light, kind of easy way to think about it. But what Paul here is talking about is more serious things. Say you see or notice somebody in sin in some way. It's overtaken them. It's caught them. Probably it's a blind spot for them. They just don't even see it. Paul says that a spirit-led community restores that person. Do you see that? You who are spiritual should restore him. In a spirit of gentleness. Now this word restore is an interesting word. It's used to speak of putting back in place a dislocated bone. So imagine a dislocated or broken bone and the doctor sets it, right? They're restoring it. I knew it was coming. I feel it. I'm drinking my water. The doctor sets the bone, the doctor gets the bone back in alignment, and if you've ever had that happen, it's incredibly painful when it happens, isn't it? But what's the alternative? The alternative is that you're not healthy. The alternative is that you're broken, and that leads to longer-term problems. And so there's an assumption here that to restore one another, to have these conversations, it's going to be painful. It's going to be painful to do, it's going to be painful to hear, painful to receive, But if we're led by the Spirit, we should do this. And we should do it, it says, in a spirit of gentleness. A spirit of gentleness. Now, that's important because uh, that's a fruit of the Spirit, right? One One of the fruits of the Spirit is gentleness. You won't have this spirit. You won't have this ability unless you're walking by the Spirit. There's also a warning against pride. Keep watch on yourself, he says, lest you too be tempted. Tempted maybe by the sin itself. Maybe you see somebody who you admire, you respect, you see them in sin, and you go, oh gosh, they're doing it. Maybe it isn't that big a deal. Maybe you minimize the sin. Maybe the temptation, though, and this fits better with the context, is that you begin to think of yourself as superior to them. This person's, oh, I, I, don't, I don't struggle with that. And you ignore all the things you do struggle with. Or maybe you even lie to yourself and you actually do struggle with it. Jesus talked about this very thing. In Matthew chapter 7, he said this. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's the log in your own eye? Jesus continues. (coughs) You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck Out of your brother's eye. Now here's what happens. Most people go, well, I know I got all these problems. I got all these sins. I got all these logs in my eye. Who am I to take a speck out of someone else's? That's not what Jesus says. Jesus doesn't say, if you notice that you have a log in your eye, don't remove the speck out of your brother's. What he says is, first remove the log out of your eye. And then deal with the speck. So just because we're sinners doesn't mean we can't be used by God in this process of restoring one another. So you all raised your hand, you've all been overtaken, you've all been trapped, you've all had something happen to you in an area of sin, a blind spot, a weakness. We've all had that happen. Well, the two errors that often happen are not restoring. You see a person caught in this situation, and rather than engaging them, talking with them about it, what do you tend to do? 
you tell someone else. Man, you will not believe. I saw that, you know, or, or this is the better one for church. We need to really pray for Sally. And I don't have the courage to talk to Sally. Frankly, I don't have the love to talk to Sally. Because if I really loved her, I'd help her. But I don't really love her. I actually kind of like feeling superior to her because I'm conceited, because I'm not walking by the Spirit. If you've been burned by those kind of gossipy, slanderous relationships in churches, and maybe you're here, you're not a Christian. That's exactly the reason I don't like Christians. Here's the thing, and I just want to tell you. Those people, while they might wear the name of Christ and may even be Christians, weren't walking by the Spirit. The problem is they were ignoring the very things Jesus would tell them to do. So not restoring is one problem. Dietrich Bonhoeffer addressed this. He said, nothing can be more cruel than the tenderness that consigns another person to his sin. You see a sin in someone you love, and you see it, and they don't, or maybe they do, but you're not willing to. You're not willing to help. Oh, I just. It would be too mean. It'd be too awkward. It'd be too painful. That is not love. That is cruelty. Bonhoeffer says, if we don't address it, the other problem is we tend to not restore with gentleness. So one problem is we don't restore at all. The other problem would be we don't restore with gentleness. We get our junior Holy Spirit badge out, right? Here's my junior Holy Spirit badge, and I'm going to hunt for sin, and I'm going to point something out until, oh, bam, gotcha, zinger. Don't you know what the Bible says? Right? And you, you kind of approach it with that. But what does Paul say? Restore him in a spirit of gentleness. What does this look like? Well, I'll give you a couple examples. Um, Matthew and I, many of you know, are close friends. We don't just work together, but we actually like each other. And uh, our good friends. And, and recently, I don't even remember how it came up exactly, but um, one of the things, Matthew said, hey, can I just tell you something I've noticed about you? And I don't think you see it. Sure. He said, you have a tendency, and I'm going, this would be fun. Um, <laughs> but again, gentleness, spirit of gentleness. Can I, can I talk to you about this? Sure. Um, he said, you know, you, you love to give out resources. You love to find stuff and recommend things and you save all these things you get. But one of the things I've noticed is that when other people are really excited to tell you something or share something new with you, you blow them off. And he goes, I don't know exactly what it is. I think it might be that part of how you build your identity is that you're the person who shares stuff with people. And so when someone else does that, it's like, you're too good for that. And he said, I, I, don't, I just don't know if you see that, and I just, I think you ought to think about it. And it was like, I didn't need to think about it. He was right. And the Holy Spirit in that moment was speaking into that. And we talked more, and I said, and we thought of more examples of that. And I went home to my wife and said, hey, Matthew brought this up to me. Do you see this? And she said, yeah, I see that. And I continued to, to fight it, but now it's, on my, now it's on my radar. Now it's something I can deal with. That's, that's seeing a brother caught in a, in a and that's, a, that's kind of a respectable sin, so to speak, right? Like that's not a big, obvious, immoral sin, but it's an insidious, private sin of pride that will creep up in my heart and grow bigger and bigger and bigger and ruin me. And yet he loved me enough to say, let me, let me fix that joint that's out of place. In fact, before this service, 
we had a conversation because he said, hey, some of this is me and some of this is you. I'm not going to get into all the details of that, but we, had to, we, we got restored. We had that conversation, and that's good. We're, we're, there's unity now. There's love there. And this is what our relationships need to be about. Are you willing to have these conversations in your marriage? Is there enough love and trust built up where you can point something out and say, honey, I'm not trying to police you here, but I I think you maybe just don't see this? Do you love the people in in your RC, your redemption community? Do you love them enough that when you see kind of these things pop up, that you would go, can I, can I help restore you? All of this flows out of whether we love one another. It's empowered by the Spirit. So a loving, Spirit-led community restores sinners. Here's the second thing it does. That was just one verse. This is going to take a while. <laughs> second thing a Spirit-led community does is bear burdens. Bear burdens. Look at verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, this really is an echo of chapter 5, verse 13. We'll put these up on the screen. Uh, 5, 13, and 14 said, Through love, serve one another, for the whole law is love your neighbor. Chapter 6, verse 2, bear one another's burdens. That's very similar to loving, through love, serve one another. And so fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ, love your neighbor as yourself, is fulfilled as we bear one another's burdens. Well, what are burdens? Well, burdens specifically have the idea of heavy, oppressive weights. And burdens take a variety of forms. They take the stress of life. They take bad decisions we've made that we're living with the consequences of. They take hardship that we don't have anything to do with. It just happens to us. Burdens, those heavy, oppressive weights. You know what they are. I don't need to poke into every possible thing. You know the things that just, they weigh you down. They might be sin, they might not, but they're just, they're heavy and they're hard to carry. And the longer you carry it, the more discouraged you get. And what a spirit-led community, what a spirit-led family, what a spirit-led marriage, what a spirit-led workplace would look like is that we would bear those burdens with each other. The image I had in my head was the idea of, of somebody lifting heavy weights at a gym, and whenever someone is lifting there, what do you always see? You see a spotter. And what happens is when the spotter, uh, when the person can't bear the weight any longer, the other person bears the burden with them. Now, they don't bear it instead of them. Do you get that? Like, if the person you're trying to bear their burden lets go of the weight, <laughs> Paul's going to talk about that's not, that's not okay. But, but, we're, but we're to bear one another. We're to help one another. We're to strengthen one another. Tim Keller says, to help with a burden, one must come very close to the burdened person, standing virtually in their shoes and putting one's own strength under the burden so its weight is distributed on both of you, lightening the load of the other. So in the same way, a Christian must listen and understand and physically, emotionally, spiritually take up some of that burden with the other person. This is, by the way, loving your neighbor as yourself. That's what it is. That's why it fulfills the law of Christ. Now, why would we do this? Why would we bear up under someone else's burden? Here's why. We would do it because Jesus did it for us. See, we are under an oppressive weight of sin. We are under an oppressive weight of love of self. 
And Jesus bears that for us. He bears our burden on the cross. In fact, he doesn't just help. He takes the whole thing. And so we should at least be able to help with one another. We do it because Jesus did it for us. We bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Well, there's some obstacles to this. Why don't we do that? Well, the first reason Paul gives in verse 3 Again, you get the train of thought here. Uh, the first obstacle to bearing one another's burdens is pride. Look at verse 3. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. You think you're something? I love, I love that this phrase is kind of in our language. Well, that guy thinks he's really something. Paul says, you're nothing. When you think you're something and you're nothing, you deceive yourself. Anyone else like me spend a lot of your life deceived? Thinking you're something? Boy, if everyone were like me. I, I know I, I'm, I'm, I'm super uh, just exposed by the Spirit of God in that verse. And so if you think you're something, if you're prideful, I'm too good for that, then you aren't going to help people out. You're not going to bear their burden. Well, that's their problem. If they just wouldn't have screwed their life up like that, then they could have carried it themselves. It's not my job to fix it. No, it isn't your job to fix it. But could you humble yourself and help them and love and care? Bear one another's burdens. Pride is an insidious thing. It's the chief sin of my heart. And it's underneath all the other sins that we would commit. C.S. Lewis said this about pride. He says it was through pride that Lucifer became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. And Frank Switzer says this, pride gets you cuts in line to hell. I love that line. You go, gosh, well that, but man, if everybody has pride and it's under everything, I mean, couldn't God... God's not that, he doesn't have that big of a problem with it, does he? Isn't that overstating it? Well, let's see. Let's see what the Bible says. Great to hear from Lewis and Switzer. Let's hear from Bible. Proverbs 6, 16, 17. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. And he lists out seven things. What's the first one? Haughty eyes. Pride. Thinking you're something when you're nothing. Proverbs 16, 5. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Pride does you get, get you cuts in line to hell. And James 4, but he gives more grace. Therefore it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now here's the good news is that as a prideful, arrogant, think I'm something when I'm nothing, that died with Jesus Christ. Jesus got treated like an abomination. Jesus took my cut in line to hell so that I could now live as a servant, live as someone who loves, live as someone who gives. But, but as John talked about last week, that battle between the flesh and the spirit, it rages, doesn't it? And so we need to fight our pride. We need to remember the, it's, it's, it's the law that would puff us up. We think our something. But if we remember the gospel, we'll be humbled. Oh yeah, I am nothing. And I'm okay being nothing. Here's a, the second uh, obstacle to bearing one another's burdens. We see it in verse 4. It's the comparison trap. 
it's uh, saying, well, well I'm, I'm bearing this much, and they're not bearing that much, and, and I, I'm doing more than them. And, I, and so Paul addresses that. He also addresses this issue of, of someone that might go, well, I started to carry the burden, and they just walked away from it. Like, they, they aren't carrying it anymore. And so Paul comes into that, and he says in verse 4, but let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. i got to tell you, this is one of the verses for me that I just have been going what in the world does this mean? Because Paul has been talking about, he's, gonna, he's been talking about bearing their burdens. He's going to talk in verse 14 next week about boast. I don't boast except for in the cross of Christ. And here he says, test your own work so that you could boast in yourself and not your neighbor. And, and then here's what I saw is that um, there's a difference. The, the, the word used for load and the word used for burden are not the same thing. The uh, verse, verse 2, bear one another's burdens, that word burden means a heavy, oppressive, crushing weight. Uh, the word in verse 5 for load means a small amount of cargo. It would be like a backpack. And so Paul isn't saying, what, what, Paul, what Paul's saying is you, you have to carry your own backpack. And, and your reason for boasting is not in other people. That's, in fact, what the Judaizers were trying to do. They were trying to get you to be impressed with how many people they had gotten you to change. He said, no, you're going to stand before God on your own. You're, you're going to give an account to God for yourself. Bear, you, bear one another's burdens, but bear your own also. Don't let them just carry everything. A spirit-led community wouldn't do that. Scott McKnight, a commentator, says... The issue uh, between verse 5 and verse 2, it's not contradictory, but rather two sides of the same coin. Christians must help one another with the struggles of life, but each Christian will also have to answer to God individually. So a spirit-led community restores sinners. We're all sinners. It bears burdens, and we all have burdens. And finally, a spirit-led community shares all good things. Shares all good things. That's what we see in verse 6. So verse 5 was saying, each one has to bear their own load. You're going to give an account to God for how you live and what you do. But, but verse 6 then reminds us, but you, don't, you aren't independent. You aren't all by yourself. You have other people helping you. You have people that, that speak into your life and help you carry that load. And so verse 6 says this, one who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh corruption, and the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Verse 6 comes out of the blue, especially if you've uh, studied or understood this verse. Um, most people teach verse 6 this way, or it says, one who's taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Here's, the, here's how most people preach this. You should pay your pastors. Oh, I like that. Amen? <laughs> pay your pastors. Now, and, and, that's, and that's for sure part of this verse because that word share is used in other contexts to talk about giving and to talk about that. I think it makes, I mean, I, there are people that I support who discipled me when I was in college. And we try to support them as a way to honor this verse. I think that's appropriate. Um, you know, F.F. Bruce, a commentator, here's how he, you know, this is the typical sort of thing in this. The teacher should, fills the, pulp, the pupil with spiritual insight from the scriptures. The pupil should relieve the teacher from concern for his uh, life and subsistence. That's how it gets taught, and that's how, if you just read a, a commentary, that's often what it goes. But I'm sitting there reading it going, but what about the context? 
Like Paul's been talking about this, this life that's, that's, that's been shaped by the vertical experience of grace into a horizontal experience of love and walking by the Spirit. And then we get this random thing to pay your pastors? Really? Is that all, is that all it's saying? And so remembering the context is really key here. Remember what's happening. What Paul is saying is there are good people still holding fast to the true word of God. When he says the word, that that is the gospel. He says, for one who is taught the gospel must share all good things with the one who teaches. He's saying there's still some faithful teachers in, in Galatia. And they are getting creamed. They're getting creamed because they're faithful to this. They're getting told that they're walking away from the promises of Abraham, and, and they're, they're being threatened by these false teachers. They're getting beat up. And so Paul is telling these people, hey, share their burden too. And here's how you share their burden. For sure through some financial support, by, but by, what does he say? Sharing all good things. These people who are who are faithfully helping you stay the course. These people in your community that are fighting for you to hold fast to grace, support them in all good things. It's it's true that pastors have families and bills to pay and need support. Um, That's absolutely true. The Bible teaches that that's a biblical and an appropriate thing. But, But the rewards of ministry... Let me just tell you, they're not from the paycheck. We need that. But the true awards of ministry are your prayers and your encouragement and your emails that will say, this, this really impacted me. Not just good sermon, but like when you said this, God used it in this way. That's the stuff. Your encouragement, your friendship. It can be, I, I talk to so many pastors, and I think mostly because pastors are just really unhealthy and weird, but so many pastors don't have friends. And, and, and I praise the Lord that in this church, our, me and our family, we have friends. And we appreciate your friendship, and we want that. Your, your, your community, the times when you let us rest, I mean, all of that, it, all of that blesses us. And so when Paul says, Share all good things with the one who teaches. I think what he's saying is there's this principle, and it's a whole principle of how we should live in all of community, is that those who are being faithful, we help one another, we encourage, we bear the burdens, we support, we bless. We should do that. And, and, and as you think about this, you go, okay, in, in my family, in my marriage, in my small group, I'm to restore sinners, I'm to bear burdens, I'm to share all good things. Gosh, that's exhausting. Anyone just feel tired? Going, man, I got to do a a lot. Here's the thing. It's not exhausting if it's empowered by the Spirit. All of this flows out of trusting and relying on God's strength in you. That's where this comes from. And so if you're empowered by the Spirit... You will be able to do this. And so Paul concludes this little section saying, hey, don't be, uh, he says, verse 7, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. What Paul's saying is, listen, there's a way to live community by the flesh. There's a way to live in community by the Spirit. And you will reap what you sow. If you ignore this principle, you're mocking God. The word mocking there is literally to turn your nose up at God. What, What do you know? 
And Paul, Paul is saying, listen, your family will be led by some dynamic. Your marriage will be led by some dynamic. The team you coach will be led by some dynamic. Your small group, your church family will be led by some dynamic. What will it be? Will it be the flesh, your own reputation, your own power, your own control, your own goals, or will it be led by the Spirit, by what God wants, by God's agenda setting the pace? And he says, you will reap the path you take. It will have a consequence. Verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. Corruption is the idea of disintegration. It's the idea that this, there's this fabric of how God has made the world. The Old Testament word for it is shalom. And that when we sow to the flesh, when we are controlled by, by our own agenda in our, in our relationships, when we do that, we will reap corruption. We will reap disintegration. We will reap the unraveling of that fabric. But the one who sows to the Spirit, he says, will from the Spirit reap eternal life. These principles of restoring and bearing one another and sharing all good things, there's life in them. And so you don't plant an apple tree and hope to get oranges, right? You, you, you can hope for that. You're crazy. And some of you, you're wondering right now, how come my marriage is so broken? How come my relationships feel so just backbiting? And, and how come I'm so filled with pride? It's because you've been sowing to the flesh. You haven't invited God to rule and to reign in that part of your life. And this is an invitation to do so. This is an invitation that has blessing. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. If you will sow to the Spirit, if you will begin to let God change you vertically and then begin to allow yourself to love and to be humble, you will reap. It says verse 9, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. You go, I've been trying to do this. I've been trying to sow to the Spirit. I've been trying to let God take the lead, and it's only gotten worse. What Paul says is, don't lose heart, don't grow weary, in due season you will reap if you don't give up. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it to keep pursuing Christ. It's worth it to keep trying to love and serve and bless those that God has put in your life. It's worth it. Let's pray together. Um, Lord, we thank you um, for the way you've uh, bore our burden, the way that you saw this oppressive weight of sin that we couldn't carry, and you carried it for us. And so, God, make us a people that love one another deeply, that fulfill your law, your true law of loving our neighbor as ourself as we restore one another as we bear one another's pain and hurt and burden and as we uh, share all good things, as we encourage and support and bless and help us to do that. Help us to live and walk and move by your spirit. And Lord, we, we can only imagine the fruit that that will bear and we pray that it would. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we're gonna respond now a couple of ways. Uh, we're going to, you know, maybe prayer is an appropriate response for you.
Uh, maybe as the band comes up, maybe you want to spend some time in prayer and to confess some areas of pride, some areas of conceit, some areas where you've let your agenda and your control shape your relationships more than God's spirit. If that's the case, that would be an appropriate way to pray and we'll give you some space and time to do that. When the band comes up, they'll begin to play and to lead us. We're going to sing of God's greatness. We're going to look outside of ourselves and unto God and who he is. It's as we get this vertical focus.